0: If you have your Bibles uh, this morning, go ahead and open with me to the book of John for the last time in ever, probably, right? This is it. If you, uh, if you don't normally join us on Sunday mornings here at Fellowship, uh, you may not know this, but we've been walking through the book of John for um, a year and a half or so, and today is the last installment in this book. We're gonna look at the final chapter, chapter 21. And look at verses 15 through 25 today. There's a book by a guy named John Piper, who's a pastor theologian, um, just a really uh, wonderful mind who has sharpened and and blessed and and mentored many pastors and many believers. Uh, He wrote a book, wrote many books, but he's written a book called Don't Waste Your Life. And uh, it may have been talked about from this pulpit before, I can't remember doing so, but uh, it's one that's worth talking about. Don't waste your life, and it sounds like exactly what it is. That's the theme of the book, is that life is short, and God has given you a purpose within it. Don't waste your life. Uh, The back cover of that book has a quote that says this, The American dream beckons people to spend their lives on trivial diversions, slipping through life caught up in seeking success, comfort, comfort, and pleasure above all else but God designed people for far more than this so I calls those things diversions which is a good reminder that all that the American dream is a diversion your main course is not to pursue life liberty and the pursuit of happiness your main course is the glory of God that's the reason that you and I were created you and I were designed and so there are many diversions let me just say this the diversions aren't necessarily even bad things It's just that they can't become God things. There are many diversions that are good things. Things like money. Isn't money good? Money's good. It brings a lot of good things, doesn't it? Uh, Lots of good things. There's nothing wrong There's nothing inherently evil with money. But if money becomes a God thing, it is an evil thing, right? It's a diversion from your main course. Even family. Family's a good thing. But family can become, if we worship our children, a diversion from your main course. Your cell phone is capable of many good things, but it's capable of many evil things if misused and misappropriated and becoming a diversion. Our happiness, our bellies, food, food's a good thing. It can become a God thing and a diversion thing. Love, sex, intimacy, safety, good things, but can become diversions if they become God things. You see, it's not wrong to even see those things as valuable. But The danger comes when we make them unhealthy treasures. That's why Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When the treasure is in something trivial, your heart is pointed toward a trivial thing. Not the reason that you were designed. You know, life is filled with the trivial. At the end of the day, what is the eternal value of a thing? And that's why last week we saw just a little glimmer of that when Peter is in the fishing boat and yet he jumps from the fishing boat. They've been banking nothing all night, no fish, no nothing, and suddenly they get 153 fish in the net, and that's a payday, right? They're going to go the next morning and sell those bad boys. That's their profession, and yet they're raking in the dough, and he jumps out of the boat. Why? Because he saw something more precious on the beach. It wasn't the fish, it was Jesus, and he is the greatest treasure, a little microcosm of a great principle, and so this week what we're going to see is that Peter had a desire for something more precious to him than those fish. But what Jesus is going to say to Peter this week in our last little bit here is that he's going to tell Peter to inspect his love. Inspect what he loves. He's going to ask him what is precious to him. You see, Jesus knows Peter, knows everybody through and through, but he knows who he's speaking to, Peter, the one willing to disown Jesus for his own protection just days earlier. Betrayal, denial, So knowing Peter, he issues a sobering question. It's a very simple question. Peter, do you love me? So today, as we inspect our passage for the last time, I want you to ask yourself the same question as Jesus is asking you, do you love him? Let's look at John 21 together one last time. John 21, 15 through 25 says this. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Peter, You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper, and had said, Lord, who is this going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. So the saying spread among the brothers that the disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things, and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. The end. In fact, I started to title this message The End. That would have been clever, right? Last week, we saw the first part of this sort of two-part epilogue. And I've mentioned this, the literary structure of this book with the prologue, then the body of work, the sort of unpacks where the prologue is set at the beginning. And then you have the conclusion statement in chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, which is here's the big picture. And then the last part being the epilogue in chapter 21, which is the trail off, as I referred to it earlier, as the end credits scene, which is what happens to the characters after the story is over. That's the nature of chapter 21. You see, when reading narrative, John, we have to be mindful of the story as a whole. Jesus and Peter are the two main figures of this final moment, and their relationship, even in this book, had suffered significant damage just days prior. I mentioned it a moment ago. Betrayal, denial. By the way, remember last week we looked at this, that when Peter came out onto the beach after plunging into the water, swimming 100 yards, he gets onto the beach— there's a charcoal fire there with Jesus sitting by it, and he's like, "Got my breakfast with me. The only other time in John we see a charcoal fire, Jesus and Peter, only other time we see a charcoal fire, period, is with Jesus and Peter, and that's when Peter denies him trace times, three times. How many times did Jesus ask him if he loved him? We'll get there, right? There's a clear hyperlink here. Peter was a follower, but was often messing up. He had been mercifully forgiven. He remained perfectly loved and is graciously reminded in our passage this morning that he is forgiven and sent out by his Lord. This last interaction is perfect for the reader, sort of an analogy for our own lives, because we are often Peter, right? A follower who often messes up. Mercifully forgiven, perfectly loved here in this building, under this teaching, graciously reminded once again that we are forgiven, sent out by our Lord. And so as we look at our passage this morning, I think the theme that we see, what Jesus is communicating to Peter is, don't waste your life. So I'm gonna give you guys three things that I want you to see within the confines of that theme of not wasting the life that we've been given. The first one is this, with action, not just position. A living A life of action, not just position. When we left off last week, the guys had caught a ton of fish. They'd had breakfast. What happens next is that there seems to be a private, intimate conversation between Jesus and Peter. Later on, we're going to see it says that there's someone walking behind them, which implies that they were walking. And so there's this private, intimate moment between Jesus and Peter. Look at the first part of verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Literally what he's asking is, do you love me more than the rest of the disciples love me? It's not a competition. It's kind of weird, right? It's like little kids and their parents. It's like, am I your favorite? <laughs> is it? But Jesus is asking him a very interesting question. Do you love me more than these guys? Do you love me more than all of them? Again, not a competition. It's not about one-upping. The heart of this question is a question of, will you be unwaveringly loyal to me? Remember who Peter is, right? The impulsive, the passionate, the zealous. John is the calculated, the quiet. No, this is Peter, the passionate, the zealous, the forthcoming. And it kind of makes me wonder, reading behind the text here, maybe this is Peter's claim, that he was the most loyal, that he was the most ride or die. I don't know. But clearly, this is how Peter felt of himself, which is why Jesus asked him a question. Are you going to be the one that's my diehard? Do you love me more than these guys? But there's something more here. Why ask Peter? Because the parallels to the betrayal at Jesus' trial are undeniable, especially considering what happens next. It goes on in verse 15 and says, Do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Thing built into there is the question of, do we? Does he? Right? This betrayal is, is lurking, lingering. You know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. There's number one. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs sheep. You see, again, just days prior, Peter's loyalty was shattered when he caved when asked three questions regarding whether or not he followed Jesus around a charcoal fire, interrogated, are you one of his? Did he love Jesus enough to stand by him at his arrest? No, which is why Jesus is asking the questions. There's sort of this metaphorical, symbolic redemption pattern where you denied me three times, now you're going to say you love me three times. Jesus Jesus asks him three new questions that boil down to the same thing. Will Peter love Jesus enough to follow him, not in word, not through lip service, but in action with bold loyalty no matter what? There's another little detail here that I want to point out that I think is so neat, and that's that Jesus usually, almost always, calls Peter... Peter he calls him Peter or Cephas which is the name that Jesus gave him whenever he was called when he was fishing he says Peter you're gonna be mine and your name or he says Simon you're gonna be mine and your name is now Peter Cephas because your name means rock and upon this rock I will build my church A little name change he says you're not Simon anymore now you're the rock the firm one but here what does he call him look three times he calls him Simon Why is that significant? Because that's his pre-Jesus name, his pre-following name. Peter has proven himself to not be one of Jesus's, but to be a denier, to be a betrayer. And so he addresses him as the denier and says, Simon, which is the little Simon, what do you say? Will you follow me? Do you love me? And Peter is upset. Because of the doubt at the heart of Jesus' persistent questioning. But Jesus intends more than just to gather information from Peter. He says to him, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Why is that important? Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Because Jesus is not asking him, how do you feel about me? He says, are you going to do it? I'm not care about the word play. I'm not care about how you feel, your emotion. I mean, is there action behind how you feel about me? Do you love me? Yeah? Show me, he says. When I was in college, my mom, um, she was a wonderful mom. She was the one that I'd go home every weekend and she'd do my laundry. That kind of mom, you know what I mean? The one that was truly my ride or die. And I guess I'm a mama's boy. I guess that's what that means. I don't know. But uh, she always took care of me. And one time she visited my dorm, I was probably like 19 and she, um, which was a dangerous enterprise in all of in itself, but she came and she saw that I had like on the countertop, some um, cracked black pepper and olive oil, not crack. Did you guys think that I was gonna say? I wasn't like that in college, Just slow down, okay? It was the cracked black pepper and olive oil Triscuits and I had some Colby Jack cheese and um, I bought that with my own you know, abundant money in college uh, from like Winn Dixie or something, and the reason I was eating that snack is because it was like sort of healthy, and I was just trying to make some good decisions. You know what I'm saying? So uh, I was eating some cracked black pepper and olive oil triscuits with Colby Jack cheese, and my mom sees that she takes notice of it because she's extremely thoughtful, and she sees that she doesn't even make mention of it. She's like, "Oh, he must really like that." And so then she says, "What what you got over there?" I was like, "Oh yeah, it's just snack. It's, it's really good. I love that snack, and you know, I'm just trying to make good choices, whatever, because I'm that kind of guy." Um, but the thing is. I told her I loved them and projected healthiness, but I kind of exaggerated because I was kind of trying to convince myself that I love that snack more than I actually love that snack. Triscuits are extremely dry. Like they're not, how do you really like, uh, anyway. So I think that the Colby Jack was doing some heavy lifting in that combination. But then I go home and like every weekend that I went home, guess what was in the cabinet? You know where this is going? Cracked black pepper and olive oil Triscuits with some Colby Jack cheese. Every time. And I told you I went home a lot, and it was always there, and she'd be like, Caleb, look <laughs> what I got you, and I'm like, oh, I love that snack. <laughs> like, man, thank you so much, but again, it, originally, I had exaggerated. I would barely eat any of them whenever I visited, and sometimes the seal would just let be left unbroken because I wasn't really crazy about that snack, but it felt good at the time to say how much I loved them. I mean, how much could I love that snack if I never talk about them, eat them, or even break the seal? And you see where I'm maybe going with this. By the way, I never told my mom that if she hears this online, yikes. You see guys, that principle applies to friendships, relationships, marriages. Love is just a word that we loosely throw around unless it is backed up with, with action. I did not love that snack. As many times as I said I did, it meant nothing if I didn't break the seal and show that I enjoyed it. And again, that principle applies to us, does it not? We can say, love, love, love. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. But if we don't break the seal, engage him, enjoy him, it's just wordplay. Loving Jesus is not just a feeling. It's not just lip service. It's a heart affection that leads to unwavering action love is a verb as we often hear it is a sentiment it is a feeling but it is a feeling that absolutely if it's sincere produces action it produces life change you see the reason i say that is that jesus called peter to shepherd his people feed my lambs tend my sheep feed my sheep that is shepherding language he he was calling him to in other words be the rock be peter hey simon be peter Be the rock that I'm calling you to be. Don't just bear the label. Don't just call yourself the rock. Be the rock. Don't just say you love me. Love me. He called him to action, not just to a position. And the same is true of us, church. God doesn't call you to just hold a position or a title. He calls you to be a person of action with that title in other words christian cannot be your label without it being your lifestyle christian cannot be your label without it being your lifestyle otherwise don't you understand we join peter in lip service and betrayal You can call himself the rock he's simon and we can do the same you can call yourself a christian all you want but if it goes only as far as the label You are not living like you love Jesus. That's what Jesus is saying. That's why John is sharing it. Christian, do you love me? Caleb, do you love me? Guys, God did not just call you to the position of Christian. He called you to live as one. He didn't just call you to the position of being a parent. He called you to parent for the kingdom of God's sake. He didn't just call you to a vocational position. He called you to represent Christ in your vocation. He didn't just call you to a life as a student. He called you to be an ambassador of Jesus as a student. He didn't just call you to be that person's friend. He called you to be a representative of Jesus in that friendship. He didn't just call you to that neighborhood to be that person's neighbor. He called you to love that neighbor as yourself. He didn't just call you to be part of this fellowship. He called you to be a vibrant person Organic person who is a part of the church. Our question is Do you love me? Show me. How can you activate your love for Jesus through all the elements of your life that you go through in the day, today, today? And the truth is there are going to be barriers to living that active love, times that it isn't easy to follow Jesus. And that's what we see next in this conversation. And the next thing I'm going to give you guys, number two, is to glorify God in all seasons. To glorify God in all seasons. When I say seasons, I don't mean the four seasons. I mean in the ups and downs of life. Life takes us many different ways, highs and lows. Will you glorify God in the highs? That's easy. Will you glorify God in the lows? Maybe more difficult. Jesus tells Peter, a low is coming. Look at verses 18 and 19. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. John adds a parenthetical. Remark in verse 19, he says, This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Jesus says, Follow me. Upon first reading, it, it may sound like I don't know, maybe Jesus is using some sort of analogy to talk about being elderly and that when you're elderly, your children will make you do things that you don't want to do. Like, you know, we kind of do that when, when we get to a certain age, you may have kids in your life that are not kids anymore and then they treat you like a kid and they say, you're not allowed to drive and you're not allowed to go out past nighttime and whatever that looks like. And so maybe you can read this and say, is that what, what's, what he's talking about here that you I, you won't even be able to dress yourself? Is that what he's saying? That's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is far more profound he's saying there was a time when you wore what you wanted you did what you wanted you went where you wanted but there's coming a time where you'll be taken where you don't want to go then he says follow me anyway there's going to come a time where you're going to be taken where you don't want to go he says that they're going to stretch out your hands and especially considering recent events you know We have John's parenthetical remark, Peter didn't have that, he just had, you're gonna stretch out your hands and be taken to a place you don't wanna go. John tells us it's about Peter's death. Peter didn't necessarily have John's parenthetical remark, but I'm telling you anyway, Peter would have known what Jesus was alluding to. This stretching took place when a condemned prisoner was tied to his cross beam, it just happened to Jesus, forced to carry his cross to the uh, place of his execution, Golgotha, Calvary. The cross beam would be placed on the prisoner's neck and shoulders and his arms would be tied to it. He would then be taken to a place he did not want to go, his death. We know that Peter served and lived for three decades with this prediction doubtless in the back of his mind. By the time the book of John was written, which was a few decades after the events transpired, That prediction would have come to pass. When John writes, Peter would have been dead by now. The writings of the early church fathers tell us that what John predicted, what Jesus predicted rather than what John commented on, is exactly what happened, that Peter was glorified, or Peter glorified God by his martyrdom when he was crucified upside down because he didn't want to be crucified, didn't consider himself worthy to be crucified in the same way as his Savior. His arms were stretched, and he was taken to a place he didn't want to go. Verse 19 says, this this he said to show about what kind of death he was to glorify God. That's a weird statement, isn't it? Death, glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. You see, in effect, what Jesus is saying is, being my disciple will lead you to paths that part of you will not want to go to. Follow me anyway. Guys, we don't know this level of sacrifice for Jesus. We have brothers and sisters that do in places where martyrdom is still happening. We may never know that level of sacrifice. Lord willing, we won't. But we don't have to in order to feel its relevancy to our lives. Here's what I mean by that. Being a follower of Jesus will mean that part of you will not want to follow. There's an inner war that wages within every one of us, isn't there? An inner war. I do what I do not want to do and I don't do what I do want to do is the way that Paul placed it. An inner war. There's a time when you won't want to read your Bible if it means giving up sleep or the phone or whatever. There'll be a time when you won't forgive because it will make you look or feel weak. There'll be a time that you won't apologize, won't want to apologize because it will damage your ego when you won't want to shepherd your kids if it means you have to turn off the tv or pray out loud which is out of your comfort zone will you follow him anyway there's gonna be a time when you have to have a hard conversation with your children so that they aren't raised by their peers or by google or by tiktok will you follow jesus then a time when you're gonna have to be the strict parent and ensure that your children love Jesus more than what they'd rather do on a Sunday morning because they don't know better than you. A a time when you're going to have to buck against the moral progress of our culture. And with this Supreme Court ruling, maybe we see an example of that. Will you take the path of least resistance and celebrate silently and grieve publicly a Supreme Court ruling? Or will you boldly rejoice and say, it's worth it to follow Jesus even when it's hard even what it means, people are going to be ugly and jerks and losers. Are you willing to be backed into a corner for the sake of the gospel? Will you follow him anyway? And I got good news for you today. If you find yourself right in the center of that inner war, where you find yourself struggling with sin, You're in good company. This guy does. Peter did. And I think that you do as well. Guys, listen. It is not the presence of the struggle with sin that is the warning flag. It's the absence. It's not the presence of the struggle that's the warning flag. It's the absence. It's when you become so calloused that you no longer put up a fight. knowing the days of struggle are ahead for Peter and for us, Jesus just simply says, follow me anyway. Follow me. So the third thing I want you guys to see is, uh, I don't really like the way that I phrased this, but I've just said, bloom where you're planted. Bloom where you're planted. Just means that follow Jesus the way that God's laid out your life. Your life looks different than others. Follow Jesus in your life. You see, Peter had been confronted with a staggering prophetic word about his own calling as a shepherd and even his own death as a crucified martyr. And now, in a very relatable moment, (laughs) he asked Jesus, what about John? (laughs) I'm going to die? What about John? What's going to happen to him, the other guy? I think that's relatable. Look at verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following him. That's John. The one who also had leaned back against him during the supper, that's the last supper, and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? Again, we know at the end of this book, it says that this is the one who wrote the book. It's John. Not sure if he's able to hear the conversation, but it's likely considering John's writing it down. He probably hears this whole thing go down. 21 to 24 says this. When Peter saw him, this John, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die, yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things, and it was written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. It's a firm response. What Jesus says is very clearly, it's none of your business, follow me. It's none of your business, don't worry about him. You follow me. On one hand, we have Peter. Peter. He'd been called to be a shepherd, to feed God's people his word, to be the rock. He'd been told then that he would be crucified for the glory of God. And then you have John, who would live a long life as a mentor and disciple maker. Though there would be a myth circulating that he would not die, he eventually would die on a Mediterranean island, exiled from civilization. He would spend years writing letters to churches, as well as documenting the end-time revelation of God. And of course, he would pen the testimony of the life of Jesus the Christ, the gospel according to John. You see, Peter and John would walk very different paths of obedience, full of different joys, full of different struggles. But the principle is very clear. Follow Jesus and trust God's sovereign plan for your life, regardless of the things that God does in someone else's life. To follow Jesus, to trust God's sovereign plan for your life, regardless of the things God does in someone else's life. Listen, there will always be someone who has it easier than you, and always be someone that has it harder than you, from what you can tell. Even though sometimes it seems easier, you have no idea. There will always be someone that's got more than you, and someone who's got less than you. You can go on and on and on about that. Follow me, Jesus says. Bloom where you are planted. Guys, God has given you your circumstances, your family, your job, your whatever, so that you would bring him glory in those circumstances. With your income, glorify God. With your neighbors, glorify God. With your friend group, glorify God. With your spouse, glorify God. With your kids, glorify God. With your boss, with your church, glorify the Lord our God. Don't be so filled with wonderlust or envy or discontentment in your circumstances that you're missing the God-glorifying opportunities that you enter into every morning when your eyes behold a new day. Is God sovereign? Yes. Not a rhetorical question. Is God sovereign? Yes. Is God good? Yes. If the answer is yes, trust that every waking moment of the day are moments that He wants you to trust Him and follow Him where you are at, the bloom where you were planted. He has you there for a reason. We can conclude how John concludes in verse 25. <laughs> And don't put your things up yet. Now there are also, this is, a, this is an emotional moment for me. I don't know if it is for you. I don't even want to read the last verse because of the treasures that we've seen within it. I know that's silly, but guys, people's lives have been changed while we've been in here. You may not see these stairs flooded with people at the end of every service, but God has used this book to write it on people's hearts. Spouses have been lost while we've been in this book. Hospital rooms have been filled while we've been in this book. People have come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior while we've been in this book. People have been baptized while we've been right here. Praise God. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written? I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. And I don't think that's an exaggeration. See, the work of Jesus wasn't just the 33 years of his life on earth. He's eternal. The work of Jesus didn't start when he was born. In Genesis chapter 1, the Bible tells us that he's the agent of creation, that the Father willed it, the Son accomplished it. In Genesis chapter 3, the falls promised Redeemer In suffering a painful blow would deliver the death blow to death. Jesus is in Genesis chapter 3 y'all. In Genesis 18 he appeared to Abraham to promise that he would have a lineage that would bless the earth. You know who that blessing would be? The redeeming blessing for the earth? It'd be Jesus y'all. Around 300 times he's the subject of the salvation foretold by the prophets. He is the son of David, the king from which the scepter will never leave his hand. Jesus is king, and he's seen all throughout scripture before he became an infant and cried his first cry, but he did. He was proven miraculous in his birth and being born of a virgin. He was proven signaling in his ministry the signs that he is the Christ. He was proven sinless in his life and that he never gave over to temptation. He was proven saving in his death and that he he cried, it is finished, that being sin. He was proven supreme in his resurrection. He could say he's the resurrection and the life all he wants, but if he stays dead, he just isn't. Yet he is. He was proven finally sovereign in his rule because he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And the same Jesus we read about 2,000 years ago currently fills this room with the Spirit of God. And he's seated victorious. Listen to this, how amazing this is. Interceding, moderating, a a constant conflict conversation between sinful people and a holy God and says, not their sin, Father, my righteousness. Not their condemnation, my glory. And when you and I are born into this world with rags of sin and despair, and separation from a holy God. Jesus stands even now saying, Sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, by the blood of the Lamb and an empty grave. Jesus was at work way before he was born, and he is not finished. And he has made and is making all things new each and every day as individuals are crossing over from death to life. Guys, doubtless the world's books could not contain the wonders of this Jesus. And as as wonderfully as this book we've been examining for for a year and a half paints Jesus, John, I love this, he admits that it simply doesn't do him justice. Not even that. Church, we've barely scratched the surface and yet we have seen him as incomparably glorious. There's a quote at the end of that book Don't waste your life. And it says this if you live gladly to make others glad in God, your life will be hard, your risks will be high, and your joy will be full. That is the essence of this conversation with Peter, Cephas, the rock. We all have a Simon story but because of the work of Jesus on the cross and an empty grave, we can triumphantly have a Peter story. Not because of our work, but because of the work of the Lamb. Guys, it's enough playing church. I've had enough of going through the motions in life. Do you love him? Yes? Then don't waste your life. It's time. Follow Jesus, and that's the gospel according to John.